Hello and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie out of the greater Cincinnati area. And today we are going to be talking about return on your investment and multi-family properties and cash flow and expenses and capital, capital expenditures. How do all these relate? Well, let's say you have a property that you want to buy and you want to make an investment and you are putting down a big chunk of money and you want to have low risk tenants and you want to have a low maintenance building and you want to have fewer capital outlays and maximize your return. Everybody's goal certainly is a noble goal, or those are noble goals, plural. Easier said than done. So how do you go about doing that? How do you find the right property? Well, on this episode, let's talk about all that stuff. Let's talk about finding the right property. Um, I'm going to be talking about a particular property that we've uh, inspected a few days ago, and it is a 13-unit property, three floors. Well, Richard, that math doesn't work. Yeah, there was one in the basement, a larger apartment, and that made the 13th. And that's something to think about as well, and I'll cover that, because the way that this property handled one more extra unit was really pretty cool, I gotta say. Um, so we'll cover that. And I'm itching to go ahead and it, talk about that first, and, and but I'm not going to. All right. This property is not that much different than a four-family property. It's just bigger and more tenants, more beds. A lot of the uh, real estate investment trusts, if you buy stock and and so forth, REITs, R-E-I-T's, they talk about the number of beds, so that really matters. How many beds do you have in the dormitory? How many beds are there in the apartment building? Meaning how much, how many rents are you getting uh, for your in, inflow, and then what are you paying outflow, and the delta that is left is your profit. Of course, you got to put money aside for taxes and all that stuff, of course. Um, Talk to your investment advisor and your CPA about all that stuff. I'm strictly trying to talk about the home inspection, property inspection stuff for commercial inspections. Um, but I will stray from my course a little bit because it just makes it more enjoyable for the podcast. And I like talking about that stuff. So right now I'm staring at a picture of the building that I inspected personally. And there's a lot of good things about this. And I hope to point you, the investor, or you, the real estate agent listing this or, or, uh, or, or, or working with the buyer on what things to look for, what things to take in consideration when you are working with a client who's making a hefty purchase like this. This wasn't a cheap building, but 13 flows of cash streams of cash coming in each month can certainly create a good scenario for an investment. What are the things with a 
large property like this that you need to consider. Okay, the roof. How old is it? Does it need to be replaced? Okay, a roof is going to be an expensive outlay. Anywhere from, say, 10000 maybe for a four-family, upwards of 40000 for a larger property, maybe like this. Fortunately, the roof on this property was probably five years or less old. There had also been some tuck-pointing work done on the chimneys, and the chimneys had metal chimney caps on them. Why is that noteworthy? And by the way, the flashing around the parapet walls on a flat roof like this, very nicely done. Because if you don't do it right and you keep putting band-aids on a roof, you're going to end up with a very expensive outlay in the future. So postponing pain, it's kind of like pay now or pay later. So your roof is going to be something to make a big consideration on for your investment. And if you pay cash for a roof, that's one thing. If you put it as part of the loan on the property, that's another thing. So, of course, you know, if you have, let's say, a million-dollar property and you're dropping the price forty grand because of the roof, is that going to make that big a difference if you're not putting out cash? Or if you do have to pay the roofer forty grand, then what difference does it make if you drop the price of the property because you still have to plunk out 40000 cash? $960,000 for the loan is not that much different than $1 million. So just something to think about. Okay. Also, what type of utilities as the property owner do you pay for for your tenants? Are the meters for your gas all separate? That's a question. Are your meters for your electric all separate? That's a question. What about water? Do you provide water or are they all separate? Typically, water is not something you can get around. However, as we go down this path, you have it forks. And as Yogi Berra once said, if there's a fork in the road, take it. Okay, well, you got two choices on this one. If you have a boiler, whether it's steam or recirculating, you probably are paying for the water for the property and you're paying for the heat. That can be expensive. You can still pay for the water for the property, but if you have a four-family unit, maybe you have four separate furnaces. Well, what happens if you buy... An older property and there's no ductwork. Where do you put the ductwork? Hmm, that's a great question. Perhaps you put ductless heat pumps on the roof. That's something to think about. That's a capital outlay that does require some installation. The um, <clears throat> the, the the coolant lines can be run down the side of the property. They don't have to punch a hole in the roof, so that's solvable. But you are left with an endeavor where if you replace those guys in the future, you have to think about renting a crane. So the installation becomes fairly expensive. But it's a capital outlay that is done once every 15 to 20 years. Okay, so that's something to think about. All right. 
Um, and if you want to ask more about that, you're welcome to email us at richard at firstinspections.com. That's richard at the number one ST, and inspections is plural. Put the S on the end, dot com. Okay, so again, your heat is going to be either a boiler, which is either going to be a circulating boiler, which runs on a lower temperature, lower pressure, versus a steam boiler, which is going to run on higher temperature, obviously, because the water has to be above boiling. And, of course, the pressure is probably going to be a little higher as well. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so this property was 13 units, and it had a 785,000 BTU three-year-old Wheel McLean boiler. Whoa, that's a big kahuna. Yes, it is. That's one that's probably used in hospitals and other things, a pretty big unit uh, for sure. And it was in it was in decent shape. It had a couple of uh, issues that had to be resolved. Um, they had one radiator out of the entire building that had a leak in the floor, the, the, the pipe, the circulating pipe, and it was um, causing dripping through a ceiling below. Um, but the unit was still only three years old, and there was also some water dripping. It had two relief valves. Uh, one of them was dripping very slowly, so that does need a, a, a repair for sure. But this, it, this property, because it was older, 1928, it had a boiler. It did not have central air. So you have window units. Another thing to think about is, and, and this isn't that cheap if you add everything up, because each apartment could have two to three 110 volt, not 220 volt, 110 volt um, window or through wall units for air conditioners. If you have one for the bedroom and one for the great room, if you have kind of one bedroom units or even two bedroom units, maybe you'd have three of these. Um, those add up over time. They're, you know, you, you can't buy them all at once. I don't know how much an air conditioner, window air conditioner is. Maybe it's 500 bucks. You know, that's 12, that's a thousand bucks. If you buy them all at once for 13 units, that's $13,000. Of course, it was winter when we did this inspection. So we obviously did not run these and we typically do not run them as part of the inspection. They're, they're, they are either owned by the tenants or they're owned by the building owner. That's something to think about. Find that out before you go under contract. Who owns the window ACs if there is a, a duct-free system at that property? Okay, that's something to think about. So the electric bill would definitely go with the tenant. And there were 13 meters plus the house meter. Now, if, and I'm going to go ahead and broach this topic now, the 13th unit, what's so special about that? Because it was in the basement and it took up half the basement. So it was really like two units in one. It was bigger, twice as big, and maybe you get maybe not twice the rent, but if your rent is a thousand bucks, maybe you get 1500 bucks for this bigger unit. And that gives you $6,000 more cash flow per year. That's something to think about. Um, what about the basement unit that's, that's, that's unique? Well, if it was added on later, maybe you don't have a separate meter for that yet. Maybe you need to have that installed 
that's going to be a capital outlay of installing another line for another meter <clears throat> and uh, or not another meter I'm sorry I'm, I did misspeak not another meter I mean another breaker panel so if you have another breaker panel that's going to be an, uh, an expense to put in how much do you need for that and does it affect your overall draw on the property and, and this building had 200 amps coming in and each one of these apartments had a gas stove it had the boiler and there really wasn't any other draw other than just outlets okay and a dishwasher and refrigerator all that was handled on on 40 amps for the entire apartment that's really all they needed um, you have gas heat so you don't really need um, 1500 watt uh, heaters space heaters there weren't any in the building so and you have your air conditioners that are 110 <clears throat> so they're not going to conk something out but if your tenants start adding things and if you were to change anything over from gas to electric and add more draw, then you would probably have to do something expensive like add two 200 amp drops to the property and then put new panels in, which would have, instead of a 40 amp disconnect, you might have a 100 or a 70 or probably not a 70, you'd probably do a 100. And then you'd have a bunch of 100 amp disconnects broken up where half the building is on one of those 200 amp drops and the other half is on the other plus the house so that's something to think about electric can sometimes be a large capital outlay for your property especially if you buy something that is in the 1960s or, or mid 70s where it may have a bunch of federal pacific stab lock drops and perhaps some aluminum branch wiring that can take a building that you think you're getting a great deal on and turn it into a nightmare sometimes if there's no negotiation room and <clears throat> you have to outlay maybe 20 grand for wiring and panel upgrades that can be a big chunk of money okay so um, let's talk about some other things safety Fire extinguishers, smoke detectors, carbon monoxide detectors. You don't want your tenants to sue you. Now, I'm not a lawyer. I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But I do know common sense is motion detector lights at the front and back are always a good thing. Wouldn't it be nice that if you're going through the front door and you're coming up to the front door that the spotlight comes on? I think I'd feel a little bit better about coming in at night. Yeah, so that power drawn from that would go on the house panel. That may require a new breaker or two to put some spotlights on. If there's some garages in back that people have garage door openers and you want to increase your rent because some of the tenants are going to have garage spaces, this this building 13... Um, 13 apartments had three garage spaces tucked under uh, in the back. Maybe you want one of those and maybe you're willing to pay an extra $100 or $200 a month for your rent because you want your car garaged. Okay, that's something to think about too. Um, <clears throat> and if you're pulling your car up, wouldn't it be nice to drive around the corner and have the spotlight come on to help guide you into the parking spot? 
um, that would be good too. Okay, so those are those are some things to think about. Safety. Uh, each municipality is going to have certain requirements about uh, fire extinguishers and where they're supposed to be located, carbon monoxide detectors, smoke detectors. Make sure you follow your local municipality rules and regulations about that as a landlord. Okay. Um, water. Uh, one of the things to reduce capital outlays and keep your foundation healthy and keep it from cracking in the future is to make sure water drains away from the property successfully, does not cause any issues with the foundation. You want positive grade, you want any sidewalk area sealed up against the property to have a nice seam seal, maybe with asphalt or concrete caulk or whatever. This property on the left side had a disconnected downspout dropping water on that side, which was the wall that, that did follow the entire length of Unit 13 on the left side in the basement. Now, when I used the moisture meter on that, it tested like 14% versus the rest of the building, 6 to 8%. So naturally, that wall did have more moisture in it than the other parts of the basement. Did that reach up to a level of concern? No, but I will say it could be improved leaves in the in the window wells, grating, and a disconnected downspout. All those add up to elevated moisture that can be probably improved quite a bit. So that's all I'll say about that. We've talked about heating. We've talked about the roof. We've talked about the air conditioners. We've talked about the electric. Now let's take another um, avenue on the electric when we're in the apartments, a lot of the outlets, actually all of them in this case, when they are tested, we test them with three-prong tester, which is because the outlets are three-prong. However, they tested open ground. When I opened, mean, what does open ground mean? That means there's no, the outlets are not grounded. So how do you know that they're not grounded. Well, when you look in the electrical panels and all of them have no ground wire for the outlets, for those circuits, then you know that those outlets are not grounded. But what if some of the kitchen and bathroom countertop GFCIs that are there are test or appear to be grounded well, there's an electric, electrician's phenomenon known as jumping the neutral, which is a improper, illegal way of creating a false image of a grounded outlet. And I'm not going to go into the technicalities of that, but you can look that up. So you can have GFCI receptacles at the kitchens and bathroom countertops that are not grounded, because, and I'm not an electrician, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express, but I do know that the GFCI can trip off of the neutral wire. You can look that up. Okay. So the bathrooms and the kitchen countertops can be made safe by a licensed electrician with uh, proper installation of those GFCI receptacles. That leaves the rest of the outlets throughout the apartments 
they look like they're grounded because there's three prong outlets, but they're not. So your computers, your stereos, your big screen TVs, I guess the term big screen TV is probably redundant because most TVs now are big screen and I don't know of any TVs that are not anymore. Um, anyway, I'm just trying to be funny, but at any rate, you want those outlets to be made safe. So a licensed electrician can consult with you and give you an idea of for each of those electrical panels, what it would take to put possibly either GFCI receptacles on some of the strategic outlets, which happen to be called home runs. And you can look that one up too. I'm not going to go into the technicality of that or in the breaker panel, you can put associated GFCI breakers in there by a licensed electrician. And if you have a four family unit, that project is going to cost you X. And if you have a 13 unit property with that many more panels, it's going to cost you X, 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 and X. Uh, so you can add all that up. That's uh, Jethro Bodine ciphering fancy math. Um, and that adds up to some number that is going to be a capital outlay that you either negotiate for on your property or you have that done yourself out of your own pocket. I would consult with a licensed electrician when prior to closing, when prior to closing, when prior to closing, not after you want to know what that project is going to cost you. So you can budget, you want to know what the pro property is going to cost you. You want to know what your loan is. You want to know what you're going to pay out of pocket for money down. You want to know what your capital outlay is going to be. You want to know what your expenses per month approximately are going to be. You want to know what your rent inflow is going to be. And then you want to know what the delta is to be left with your profit on a monthly basis so you can know about your portfolio of your investments. So I think this has been an episode that is, I think, really strategically focused on those investing um, investors who want to have real estate portfolio and have a winning formula. Um, this has been the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host, Richard McKenzie. And I really do thank you for listening.